Moses, Abraham, David, Mary, Samuel, Paul, Sue Smith, who spoke last week, James and Sharon, who have just been up now. Anyone? They're humans. That's a good place to start, yeah. They are indeed. Yeah, they're bipeds. Yeah, we could keep going, couldn't we? Um, they listen to God's voice. They're, they're called. They carry a sense of calling to do what they're doing. And uh, how many of you were here last week to hear Sue? A few of you? Okay. So this is the late, thank you. It's the lady who went out on mission years ago, sent from this church. And we specifically, intentionally asked her to share a little bit behind her story because often we can hear people like that. And she spoke brilliantly, but we can hear people speaking about what they're doing and where they're going um, and what's going on in their lives. And we can assume that, or be very grateful that, God calls some people, special people, to do special things. And uh, we can be really grateful for that. She was called to Asia. We were listening to her call. And today we've been hearing about James and Sharon and their sense of what God's been saying to them as they've pushed and had a go and stepped into this sort of Going out, trusting God. As Giles finished by saying, are you happy? Are you, are kind of, are you confident? Are you scared? It was a bit of all of that, really. This, it's kind of moving towards what God has for them. And, and I suspect for many of us, we believe that people are called by God. Or we believe that God still calls today. It's just that we don't hear him very often. It's the rest of us kind of doing our day-to-day stuff. We're trusting God. We're trying to follow him. Many of us are. And, and yet, what does God want me to do? Where does he want me to go? What does he want me to do? Maybe I'll just keep a low profile because he hasn't spoken yet. I'll read my Bible. I'll go to church. I know those things are good. I'll get plugged in. I'll worship. I know that's all good stuff, but but what am I meant to be doing? Well, I want to talk into that today. I want to talk into it today because I think often we have a different perspective from what the one God has of this whole thing of being called is. And I've been setting up for a few weeks now the times where we have one perspective and God has a different one. And today it's this perspective of, from us that actually uh, people who are called are different to the rest. That, that some are called. That, that maybe one of us or many of us will be called one day, but we haven't yet been called. And that being called is all about going overseas somewhere to do something quite specific. And I want to challenge some of those things today. And, and look again from God's perspective from Ephesians 4, and one specific principle, really, that we're going to be unpacking today, and it starts here. And this, if if you've ever thought that God calls some people to some places and that you're still waiting to hear what your call is, or maybe you're hoping God passes you by and doesn't really notice you, because going somewhere sounds a bit scary, and doing something unusual sounds a bit scary, and you'd much rather just keep your head down and, and... hope God chooses someone else, then this is a verse for you. Print it out, cut it out, stick it on your fridge, stick it on your cupboards, highlight it, put it on your phone, have it as a screensaver, whatever you want to do. But Paul, Apostle Paul, a man who always says he's chosen by God, writes this, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And we start with this perspective that people who are called are different to the rest. That there's a few people, a few select ones 
mad, crazy ones. You know those slightly fanatical Christians who, who maybe listen to God in a different way and they hear God say different things and, and God will speak to them and off they'll go. And this kind of this subset of faith, this subset of Christians. And they, they sound different, they look different, they live differently. Sue Smith was here last week and just wonderful words she shared, but she's kind of different to the rest of us, isn't she? You know? These prophets in the Old Testament we read about, they're kind of different. John the Baptist was very different. Paul, who's writing this, he's a different kind of guy. I'm, I'm not like him. And we have this perspective that some people are called, and I've had conversations like this, where people would say to me, Stuart, I, I don't know what I'm called to do. It's always called to do. That's always how we phrase it. I don't know what I'm called to do. I don't know what my calling is. And some people I've spoken to have, have been quite frustrated by that. Others, I've detected a sense of relief. But God's perspective is this, that people who are called are the same as everybody else. And it's very simple why that's the case. Because through the whole Bible, and particularly in the New Testament, Romans 1, we read about how creation itself calls to humanity. The, the whole of creation, in a sense, has been called and is... God is speaking to the world through the magnificence of creation around. And the call is to know God. And so in that sense, every single living thing cries out God's praises. And all people are called by creation to to draw near to God. In that sense, we've all been called. John 3, 16, 17 reminds us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And there's a sense in that that if we will only respond to God's overtures of love, we too can know the love of God in our lives, the death of Christ. His resurrection calls to humanity again. And so creation calls, God calls, and all of us are included in those who are called by God. But this is very specific. This is Paul writing to a group of people. And he says, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You know, if you want a get-out-of-jail-free card, you could look at the beginning of the letter and see, maybe Paul's just writing to one or two people. Maybe Paul's writing to leaders, because leaders are called, aren't they? Missionaries are called, we get that. Maybe there's a group of people that Paul's writing to, and they're, they're super spiritual, they're you know, they've, they've gone to Ephesus, that's why he's writing to the Ephesians, and they've planted churches, and they've done stuff. But if you go to the front of the book, you might be surprised to read that actually Paul's writing to all of God's people in the whole of the city. And in fact, this letter was to be passed on and circulated around the churches. And so when he's writing to people, he's not just writing to a few, he's writing to all the Christians. And he's saying, I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And we might sit and say, but, but I haven't received one. And Paul's going to say to you, yes, you have. You have already received your calling. See, the second thing we see after realizing that we are called is this, that we were called. What Paul's writing about when he says, live a life worthy of the calling you have received, it's a historical call. It's not something that we're waiting to hear one day. It's something that God has already spoken in the past. Ephesians 2 verse 10 tells us that we are created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. 
Ephesians 4 verse 4, just a few verses after the verse we just read, said, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. We have been called by Christ. If you've been waiting to hear God speak to you, and until then, you're just going to keep your head down and hope he speaks to somebody else, I've got really bad news for you. You are already called by God. It's already happened. He's already spoken. He's declared his word. You are called. We are a called people today. Not just a few to go to specific places, but all of us. And I'm going to tell you why and how that works this morning. When we look, the main thing I want to say is about living called today. You see, our perspective is that Calling is about going to somewhere else to do these amazing things. But I want to say that actually calling is about following Christ and being the people he's called us to be, living the life that he's called us to live. Maybe you're thinking, or you've been thinking, about this whole thing of calling. Well, because God hasn't spoken to me yet, I'm just going to keep faithful and wait until he does. Maybe you've thought... Well, maybe my time's over. You know, I can look back on the times when, and I felt this was for one or two people here, I can look back on the times when I stepped out too and I took the family somewhere or I trusted God and I did this and I did that and I had adventures and I believe God's saying to people today and specific people, your time's not done. Your time's not finished. There's still time to live as one who is called by God. Maybe you carry a sense that you don't deserve God's call. That you couldn't possibly live up to the call of God. Because if only he knew what was really going on in your life, you'd disappoint him. If only he could see. He'd end up being disappointed and upset and ashamed because he couldn't really call you. And that's not true. The calling has already happened. You've already been chosen and called by God. I want to take us to a verse in Ephesians 5, which unpacks this principle for us about living as a loved child of God. It says this, Ephesians chapter 5. This is our starting point for this, this principle of how we live called lives. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The starting point of God's calling is not about what we do, or where we go, or where we live, or anything like that. The starting point of God's calling is us living as children of God. Us living as his children, living owned by him, belonging to him, found in him and delighting in him. We have been called to be his kids. Our calling today is not to become something we're not already. It's to live as Christ has already made us to be. to think for a moment about what it means to be a loved 
child. Dearly loved children. See, when Jesus was presenting to the scholars, the religious teachers, the officials, the way to salvation, he pointed to the children, the ones we send, have sent out to their groups. I suspect Jesus would have carried on with them sat there and causing a bit of chaos. We do that so that they can have amazing teaching that's relevant to them and have some fun, uh, and we can pray with them and invest in their lives. So it's intentional to be a blessing to them, to, to help them grow in, in faith. But the stories we see of Jesus are of him trying to teach and people bringing children to him to bless them. And, and his disciples are trying to stop them. And Jesus says, no, 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 the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. these the kingdom of God belongs to the little ones. And he says to people, unless you come as a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. He elevates the children. And so when we read later on in various passages, Ephesians 4, sorry, Galatians 4, Ephesians 5, and other passages throughout the scriptures that we are like dearly loved children. And in fact, we've been chosen by God and adopted into his family. Our perspective needs to begin to change. You see, when, God, when I've said to us at the beginning of today, God has already called us, he's already spoken to us, we, we don't need to spend our lives wondering if God will ever speak to us because he already has. We don't need to spend our lives wondering if God may just connect with us one day and say, you, Fred, Joe, Bill, go and do this for me because God has already spoken about how he wants us to live and who he wants us to be. And the highest, best, most extravagant, most exciting, most life-changing call you can ever have is to live as a loved child of God. To live as God's child. That's the high point. Anything else is detail. Hear that from my heart today. Anything else is detail. Our first and highest calling is to live as a loved child of God. God may speak to you and give you a specific assignment. He may say, I want you to go to this place for a week. I want you to go there for a month. I want you to do this. I want you to speak to somebody. I want you to open up your wallet, take out the contents of all your money, put it in an envelope, send it to so-and-so. I want you to do that. That's not calling. That's, that's a task that God's given you to do. That's a a job that God's given you to do, a a role for that moment. Our calling is much deeper, it's much more profound, it's much richer, it's much more fulsome than just doing a job for God. And people who we look to who've, who've gone overseas or who've done different tasks, often they're doing an assignment that's not their call. Their call primarily is to live as a loved child of God. It really is. There's nothing higher, there's nothing greater than to live as God's loved one. It comes first and above and beyond anything else. And, and the way we become children of God is not because of our own goodness. We know this. It's not because of our own cleverness. Jesus doesn't take the little children to say, well, if only you could be as good as them or as clever as them or, or as beautiful as them. It's, it's not that. He's, the children have very little to offer in religious terms. In the contemporary religion of the time, he, they were put to one side a little bit. They weren't valued in the same way. Their contribution was was muted and and, and small. Why? Because they couldn't offer much in terms of obedience to God. They were brought in to be part of a community. They weren't excluded completely, but but they couldn't really invest in other people's lives. Their value was minimal, and yet Jesus brings them center stage, not because of them, but because of him, because of his grace. The 
There's a danger that some of us wait so long for God to call us that we miss the calling he's already given, which is to live as his loved son or daughter. That means all sorts of stuff, but it's going to mean living differently. And I wanted to get to this today in Ephesians chapter 4. You see, we talk a lot at times about the difference God makes in our life, about how we're saved and rescued from sin. And we don't always get to the next bit, which is about how that transforms our lives and how we're called to live differently. If we're living as a child of God, we will live differently. We will do. If you imagine for a moment the mode of entry into God's family, and just think about that. You see, our mode of entry into God's family isn't birth. We're not born into God's family, naturally. We're adopted into God's family. So God chooses us, welcomes us, and adopts us into his family. It's a beautiful picture. And I've I've spoken about this before. Many of you are very aware of this anyway. But the adoption process that God has for us says so much to us about our value because he's chosen us. He adopts us. We have full rights of sons and daughters. We have full rights of heirs. We have full rights to belong. We're not... We haven't grown up at home and he's disappointed with us and wished he'd had another child. We've we've been brought into his family. It's a wonderful image. And the child who's adopted into a family goes through a transformational process. And yes, they might bring some baggage from their previous family in, depending on on their age, but there's a transformational process that goes on as, as patterns of thinking and attitudes and living are changed completely as that child begins to adapt to the new family they're in. And many of us are in this process with God's family. That Actually, there's a process of adaptation still taking place in our lives where we've brought some stuff from our old family, our old life, into God's family, and we're trying to work it out. We're trying to work out how, which bits do I keep and which bits do I drop. I've not been adopted. I was born into my family, but we've had people stay with us at various points for a little while. And, and, and you know when you've got folk coming to stay that you have house rules at home. And maybe it's little things on how, what time you go to bed and what time you get up. Often it's rules around the meal time and how things are done at dinner time and how the cutlery is laid out and how you eat and, um, and the kind of politeness that you have around a meal time. We have quite very specific cultural rules, don't we? in our families. And you may not notice them until you go to someone else's family. Uh, and they start eating before someone else has started eating. Oh, we're allowed to do that. Okay, I'll, I'll fit in. I'll do that. You get to someone else's family and you start eating and nobody else is eating. You think, oh, blow up. Broken one of the rules again. You know, and, and, and you start in a different place in the cutlery and you, you're not sure what to get it right and, and how to get it right. And there's different rules around eating. that are, It's such a simple task, really. All you need to do is get some food and put it in your body and, and it sustains you and yet we've made it and codified it into this whole package of rules and regulations and this social construct that's a bit complicated but we kind of get it in our own families because we live there but when you go and stay with someone else you're not sure what to do. But if you have someone come and stay with you eventually they pick up your rules they pick up your patterns they pick up your behavior at least if they want to and they adapt to the norm of your family. It's very simple. And so as an adopted child, we come into God's presence and, and it's, uh, come into his family and it's logical and it's sensible and it's obvious that we can't carry on living as we used to. Because God's going to do things differently to how we used to do them in our old families, in our old way of living. 
And if we recognize that our primary calling is to live as a child of God, to live as a loved child of God, that's our primary calling in life, that it's not to go here or there or somewhere else, it's not just to wait for a specific call to a specific group of people, uh, but actually we're going to receive afresh our calling today as a loved child of God and live that out, then part of it's going to be recognizing that we need to live differently. You see, previously, we didn't have a relationship with our Creator. We didn't have a relationship with our Maker, our Designer, the one who fashioned us, the one who calls us. We didn't have a relationship with Him. We, we weren't aware of His presence. We, we couldn't sense Him. We didn't have the Holy Spirit living in us. We didn't have the same purpose of life. Our priorities were different. Uh, the values that we placed on money and relationships and careers and, and houses and stuff is different. The worries we had had different perspective because we had to carry them by ourselves. And we had nowhere to take them. And so it's inevitable that when we become Christians, when we come into God's presence and into his family, we can't stay the same. Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to read a couple of verses, says this. It says, so I tell you this, this is from verse 17, if you've got your Bibles open. Ephesians 4 verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. That's the non-Jews. Primarily the people he's writing to. So he's really saying, you must no longer live as you used to. In the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. So quickly, he's saying, don't live as you used to. Don't live as those non-religious Gentiles do. Their thinking is futile. Their hearts are hardened, and they've given themselves to impurity and whatever they want to do. Their thinking's futile, their hearts are hardened, and they've given themselves to impurity. Paul's not saying that any godless thinking has no point. He's not saying that godless mathematics doesn't add up. He's not saying that there's no point to science or investigation without God. What he's saying is that actually, ultimately, no matter how clever our thinking and how well-constructed our thought patterns is, that without that being subjected to God and under him and lived in light of him, it's just an end in itself. There's not an eternal perspective and a bigger perspective that can weigh in on our thinking. And we might be brilliant in our thinking. You might be a poet and you might be able to construct brilliant poetry, but unless it's done with an awareness of the majesty of God, it's, it's just an end in itself. It will encourage people, bless people, challenge people. But it's serving us, not serving a bigger perspective. And some of us have found that our thinking at times, and I know this is true because it happens in my life, and so I'm guessing it happens in yours, our thinking at times is what Paul describes as futile. It goes round and round in circles. You ever found this? And you find yourself thinking on an issue, and you you get a bit stuck, and you're thinking it through, and thinking it through, and thinking it through, and it's somehow we have this attitude that if I only think about this a bit more, it'll get okay. And you know, I've found that the more I think about it, it doesn't get better that actually my my thinking becomes futile if I don't involve God in my thinking. Worrying about a problem does not fix it. It really doesn't. Just just overthinking and just going, maybe if I, maybe if I, maybe if I, doesn't bring me to a solution. 
We actually need to submit our thoughts to God. Those without Christ have no awareness of his presence. Our calling, if we're living as children of God, is to be aware of his presence. And maybe for some, you've lost an awareness of God's presence. Your busyness, your business, your worry, whatever it may be. Your heart has become a little bit indifferent to God's presence and you've lost that. Well, my encouragement today is to stop and to listen again to God's call. Thirdly, Paul says that people are living for their senses. They're living to indulge in every kind of impurity. And, And maybe for some of us, we've brought into God's family patterns of behavior that we know don't belong. You know the day after you've indulged in something that it doesn't belong as a child of God, that it's got no place in your life. And my encouragement, if that's happening, is to stop and pay attention to God's call. Because I want to read a few verses on. Paul goes on, he says, This is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truths that are in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted in its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He says this, be made new in the attitude of your minds. Live with a new attitude now. Now you're in your new family, put on that new attitude. He says put on the new self. And he says you're now created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. There was a study done a few years ago by a group called the Barna Group in the U.S. And they survey loads of Christians and loads of different groups all the time. They're a kind of pollster-type group. And they surveyed a load of people. And they discovered this. They discovered having surveyed born-again Christians versus their neighbors. This is what they wrote. They wrote, when we look at the values, lifestyles, the moral perspective, and the behaviors of Christians, we can see that there's virtually no difference between Christians and non-Christians. When we look at the values, lifestyles, moral perspective, and behaviors of Christians, we can see that there's virtually no difference between Christians and non-Christians. That shouldn't be the case, folks. Now, I know we live in a nice town. We do. Tunbridge Wells was ranked eighth in a recent poll of wonderful places to live. There was a sort of lifestyle index that was done and ranked various things from crime to... um, affordability of housing to schooling to all sorts of things and uh, social challenges and, and people's optimism about where they lived. And I think we came eighth in the country in this recent survey that was done. So we can be very proud of that, if you like. We did better than Seven Oaks, so there we go. It's even better, isn't it? Um, and there was a few places that were even nicer to live, apparently, in the country, but they're a long way away. So you've, you've chosen well. You're in the right place. Uh, that means that we're surrounded by some reasonably nice people. Not everybody's a scoundrel. Not everybody's out to get us, and there are some nice people out there. But this isn't just about being nice. This isn't just about fitting in and being slightly more pleasant than people next to us. We're meant to be living differently because we're living called by the one who created the universe, who, who called us and brought us into his family. That means as an adopted son, I'm meant to live in the light of the gospel and live in the light of my calling as a child of God. I can no longer live the same way as everybody else does. And I think sometimes 
we view our, our calling as to live slightly better, but in an indistinguishable, undeterminate way so that nobody will really notice. So if I know I'm a bit nicer than my neighbors, but nobody else can tell, I've done a good job. And I, I'm not convinced that's enough. I think actually our calling is so radical, being plucked as we were from our sin, our, our futile thinking, we get it right, our futile thinking, our hard hearts, and our impurity, to be plucked from that and brought into Christ's kingdom is sufficiently magnificent that our lives should change, that we should live a different kind of life now. And it's this I want us to grasp, that this calling to live as Christ's children, God's children, with God as our Father, is a call to live positively. I don't just mean happy, but to make a positive difference and live in a positive way. Now, I'm reading through Ephesians 4 on purpose because that's the, the way I'm kind of looking at these, this series as looking at our perspective versus God's perspective. And Paul is about to come onto one of those lists which you will have read if you've read through the Bible. And there's a whole list of stuff that you mustn't do. And some bits you should do. And I don't know about you, but when I read these lists, and I, I talk to other people who've read these lists, a common reaction is not one of great favor for these kind of lists, things you don't do and things you should do. Because most of us don't like being told off. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands if you don't like being told off, because that's maybe you're revealing something about yourself you don't want to. But many of us can remember being told off as a kid. And we're quite glad when the time comes when parents don't tell you off. Just give you the look instead. But for some of us as adults, we've never liked being told off. And still that sense of being told off carries forward and we project it onto God. And we imagine that God is just looking to tell us off all the time and he's always perpetually disappointed with us. And there's one of these passages come up and I'm going to read it through. But we can read these lists as if God is just giving us another list of stuff we need to do. Pick your socks off the floor. I've told you before, your room's a mess, tidy it up. Don't speak like that. Don't eat like that. Don't do that. And we can read the list and think, oh, goodness me, it's just another load of stuff. But I want to look at it from a living as a perspective, as a loved child of God, and a call to live positively. And I'm going to read from verse 25 to 32. It's not on the screen, so just follow it in your Bibles if you have. And I'm going to pick a couple of bits out and put them on the screen in a minute. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. And in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer but must work, doing something useful with their own hands so that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow Christ's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now look at that again, and all I've done is pull out all the positive things that he says, and see how you feel about it now. Paul's writing and saying, speak truthfully to your neighbor. Work, doing something useful with your hands so you may have something to share with those in need. Uh, 
Only talk and say things that are helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. There's such a positive spin on this. It's so exciting, so uplifting, that as you read those verses through, you think, oh, okay, yeah, I think I can do that. Because we're not bowed down with this weight of being told off all the time, which is how we sometimes feel and project our relationship with God. God isn't looking to tell us off. He wants to love us and delight in us and, and have us as his children living for him. If you've found yourself stuck in negative, sinful, unchristlike behavior, it's time to stop. It's time to stop, not because God is displeased, not just because it's going against God's best for you, not just because it's unrighteous and it's sinful, but it's time to stop because it's not who you are. It's not who we are. We're called to be children of God. That means living a faith-filled, joy-filled, positive life that clings onto God and delights in him. And so there's a load of stuff that we don't do anymore that we choose not to do anymore. Why? Not because it's bad and because God doesn't like it alone, but because it represents our past. It represents the old life that we've dragged with us into our new family, and we're trying to carry on eating at a meal table in an old way that doesn't fit anymore with where we are now. We're called to be children of the king. There's somebody here at least one, who still feels like you don't belong. That even though you're following God, you're an outsider. And I wrote down in my notes, with a highlight on this bit, for you, it's time to start living as one who belongs. It's time to start living as a belonging child of God, one who has a place at the table, who isn't excluded, who's not sat on a separate table for the undesirables. You're brought into God's family. You're brought in to belong. Let me wrap up because I've spoken long enough. Being transformed to be like Christ is less about having a route in front of us that is an endless route to impossible perfection that we're never going to make. It's much more about becoming one who understands what it means to be a loved child of God. If we could only grasp and understand what it meant to be loved by God, I think our attitudes would change. I think our heart would change. I think our actions would change as a result. Jesus, when he was baptized, and he'd done nothing other than get wet, he'd not performed a miracle, he'd not healed anybody, he'd not preached had not saved anybody. When Jesus was baptized, the heavens opened and the voice of God was heard. And God said this, this is my beloved son. In him I'm well pleased. Jesus' ministry starts in sonship. And it starts with being loved. And everything he does flows from a revelation of his sonship and God's love for him. And I pray today that we might be able to live our lives clinging on to a knowledge that we are called, that it's not just dear folk going to far-fung places, but we are called to discover the love of God, that we are loved, that he delights in us, and that the stuff from our old life we wouldn't keep dragging around with us, that the old patterns of behavior that I'll look at 
in a couple of weeks' time and be a bit more specific about some stuff that the world does that we're not called to do anymore. But we're not going to keep dragging that stuff with us. Why? Because we're called by the King to live for him. What if we can pray together? God, I pray that you'd help us today. Lord, I pray that something of this would connect today with our hearts. That where maybe we've thought that calling is for a few and it's special and it's specific, and even what I've said today is somehow a lesser version of calling, Lord, I pray you'd reprogram us. That we might see that when we're called, you can give us all sorts of assignments. You can give us tasks to do, but our primary calling is still to live as loved children of God. To delight in you as you delight in us. To live for you as you want us to. Why? Not just about a, because we want to be obedient and please you, but because, Lord, we love you. And we're a part of a new family. And, Lord, I pray that the patterns and practices and, and, and habits of the new family would be ingrained in our lives. Lord, that we would live different. That we wouldn't be like those who about whom there's no discernible difference about what we think or believe or how we act. But Lord, that revelation of sonship and daughterhood, that revelation of being your child and brought into your family, would bring such a change that we would think differently and feel differently eventually and act differently now. Lord, would you help us to take off the old, And to repent, as the Bible calls it, to turn around. To turn around and to move away from, to repent from our old actions where they belong in the past. And to put on our new self, to be made new in our mind. And to belong in our behavior as well as in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, more than anything, my heart is that you and I would know that we're loved. We'd know that we're his. That is not a soft call. It's a radical one that goes to the very core of who we are and transforms everything. Amen.